0: Well, good morning again. Some of you may have come in a little bit after the welcome, so I want to welcome you all again. Uh, Delighted to have some guests here today. We have our church members here. And most importantly, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? So let's remember, as we try and understand God's Word this morning, that God is here through His Spirit to help us to do that. Before I pray and get into this sermon, I want to kind of give you an idea of the direction that I'm going here. Our church is spending some time, either by reading this book or other literature, in talking about what should the church family look like, be like? How should we function as a church? So this is the theme that I'm going to run with uh, for a while. A couple of weeks ago i chose the passage in john 20. so as the father sent me what's the rest of it so send i you but it's pretty easy to wriggle out of that one because after all he is talking to the apostles to the disciples maybe not to us I don't believe that myself. I believe it does apply to us, but it's easy for some people to interpret it that way. And then last week we went into the priesthood of all believers. Men, dare I say women, dare I? Can I force it out of my mouth? Women, boys, dare I say girls? All believers in Christ have a priestly vocation so we call that the priesthood so I spent some time last week from um, I believe it was first or second Peter on developing that idea and I didn't go very much into church history but one of the things that would would be good for you all to understand is you had that in the first century church. Even if that term wasn't used a lot, you had equality of ministry in the early church. You didn't have the apostles up here, maybe special disciples here, and then the rank and file here. You did not have a hierarchical model of church. It was much... God has distributed his gifts to each believer that's what we understand, right? Hopefully we're beginning to understand that. To each believer, and we all have our priestly vocation. Yes, the pastors have their role, the teachers have their role, the evangelists have their role, mainly a training role that they, that they have, apostles also. Um, but we all are spiritually gifted by God for service. Now, I was in a conversation with some of you recently And the question came up, but don't we need a visible leader in the church? And it got, you have to be careful what you say to the pastor because it gets me thinking in different ways. And so I started and I thought, okay, I'm going to develop that, try and develop that into a sermon. So that's the direction I'm going to go this morning. I'm going to talk about the body and the head of the body and what the apostle Paul means by that and i think that will help us in our understanding of what the church family uh, really should be about i did remember that in the old testament that uh, one of the major issues with the nation of israel is that they wanted a leader like the surrounding nations Uh, it's getting a little warm in here maybe we need to turn some air conditioning on i feel it a little bit on this side so you guys can sweat over here we'll Stay real cool over here. I think I'll just preach from this side this morning. So let's make sure the air conditioner is on both sides. And, um, and so this morning, what I want to talk about, I'm going to tell you the direction that I'm going, because it's not going to be the, the easiest language to follow, some of the language that Paul uses. But the idea is this, that, that he likens the church to a body, and the body has a head. That's the direction that we're going to try and understand the implications of that statement. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your word this morning and as we try to, to grasp um, what you're really wanting to do through those who believe and trust in you, pray that your spirit will be here, Lord, to be our teacher and help each one of us to be, have fruitful ministry for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. If you're using the Bible in the pews, I will give you the page reference unless somebody can find it quicker than I can and tell us what that is. So we've got Galatians and then Ephesians, and I'm going to go with chapter 1. So this is on page one eight one. And before we read that scripture, as I just said to you a moment ago, what is the church? Now the, when we talk amongst one another, we talk about the church as a building. That's not what Paul is talking about in the verses that I'm going to read in a few moments. So we talk about the church building as being the church, possibly. Some of us speak of a denomination, like the Lutheran Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Presbyterian Church, a denomination. Some think of the church as a social club, In fact, it's very interesting, and Walter, you'll be interested in this, because Walter is studying about how to reach missing members. Just like Wally was talking about in the offering this morning about this individual. Imagine getting to 78 years of age and you have kind of lost your way with the church. So we need to pray for people like that, don't we? We need to do a lot of praying so that they can see the truth and follow it. So when I've taught with friends who have left the Seventh-day Adventist Church who actually went through college and seminary with me studying to be pastors, they no longer believe in the Seventh-day Adventist message. They don't want to call themselves for sure Seventh-day Adventist. They do not believe in the Christ- Christianity anymore, they do not believe that there is a God, and they most certainly do not believe in the Bible. Now that's a huge shift, don't you think? Going to class each day, studying the Bible, putting so much money into it, so much time into it, big commitment, and then some years down the road not even wanting, not believing that anymore. But I said to them, is there anything that you miss? And they said, yes, we miss the social side of the church. So for some people, church is a social club. Now I know that the church should, has, has um, a social component, but we should not think of it as some kind of country club. Um, some look on the church as a place to be entertained. That's pretty common in North America now. Uh, Some Biblical language, it's called a household or a family. I kind of like that imagery. Um, Again, in the book of Ephesians, it's called a bride. In John 15, it's called the vine and branches. And then, of course, we spent months going through the book of Acts. How would we think of the church in the book of Acts? Well, for me, it would be a place of power or a people of power but here in this passage we will see paul lightening the church to a body so the verses i want us to focus on are in chapter one of ephesians verses 22 and 23 and god placed all things under his feet Who is the He? The Lord Jesus Christ, and appointed Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is the Lord Jesus Christ's body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. I love verses that are hard to understand i love to stretch this little gray matter of mine and lean upon god and say lord you've put it in there and i know that slaves read this or had this read to them because they wouldn't have had a copy and i'm sure that most slaves were not very well educated but they had been spiritually born again by the lord jesus christ by the holy spirit and so, if they are supposed to understand it, then I'm supposed to understand it, right? And don't be afraid to wrestle with challenging statements in Scripture, challenging doctrine and teaching. It's the way to grow. So all of these pictures help us to understand something of what Christ is doing in the church, but the one that's mentioned especially here Is the word body and the emphasis on head. Now I want to stay right from the beginning so that we're clear on this that God has always appointed leaders in the church and we don't have to go anywhere outside of just the book of Ephesians to see that. We can see later in chapter 4 where by the way in verse 15 he also speaks of the head. So it comes up at least twice in this book. And there he talks about that God has appointed apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and so on, evangelists. So we know that there is leadership. Just by working our way through the book of Acts, we have seen that. But I don't know of anywhere where any human being, man or woman, is called the head of the church in the Bible, except as it applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's true, then the onus upon us is to say, why is that so? Because if you look at something like the Catholic Church, and I don't want to put words into their mouth and and make them uh, say things that maybe they wouldn't intend, but it seems to me that they feel that the Pope is the head of the church. And it scares me when I hear Seventh-day Adventists say, yeah, the General Conference President is the head of the church. When we, I know what people mean, but when we say that, we're not thinking biblically. And God wants His people to think biblically. So you can reason from cause to effect. And when you get an abuse, which which in my opinion is an abuse of the church family with this strong, authoritative, hierarchical model with popes, bishops, priests, and then who are all clergy, special class of people, and then the rest, multi-millions of them, are laity, different class, usually spoken of as an inferior class, then I'll tell you categorically that you have something that is as unbiblical as it is possible to be. So, what are the implications and what is Paul trying to portray in chapter 1 here in these verses that we're looking at And maybe we should look at chapter four too, even though I'll spend most of my time in chapter one. In chapter four, verse uh, 15. He's just spoken of us as the church members not being like infants, tossed back and forth. Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, We will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So that's very specific, isn't it? Kind of interesting, uh, kind of similar to what we read in chapter 1, but maybe a little bit more detail here. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here's the picture. The church family is likened to what? I, I don't hear you. A body likened to a body. A human body. Think of a human body if that helps you. Likened to a body. And that body is headless or has a head? Has a head. And who is the head? The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be really clear about that. The Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus was on this earth, he had a body. Before he came on this earth, did he have a body? Ooh, that got a mixed reaction. Well, the scriptures teach that God is spirit. So it's probably smart to say, no, God was spirit and when he came on this earth, he took A human body we call that the incarnation so he took this human body and then he lived with the disciples as you know did his public ministry and um, tried to explain to them about what the church family was supposed to be like but they didn't really catch that Uh, Wow that was three and a half years and they didn't get it how long is it gonna take us at Anderson to get it let's say three and a half weeks just to encourage the pastor so it doesn't take too long. Three and a half weeks, okay, I can live with that. They didn't get it. And then eventually we know that when the Holy Spirit was poured out and Jesus after his resurrection did a lot of explaining, gave him a lot of Bible study and then eventually the Holy Spirit was poured out, then we think they were kind of getting it. Even though Peter had a few stumbles along the way with the Gentiles, they pretty much started to understand what the church family Uh, Was supposed to be. So the picture we have is we, the believers, are the body, the church family, and the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, through the Lord Jesus Christ, is the head. So when Jesus was on this earth with this physical body that he had, he started to tell the disciples, I'm going away. Whoa. Did that slow them down? They got to like this guy. Don't you find that as you get to rub shoulders with Jesus you kind of like him? Don't you find him a very attractive person? We don't have to defend Jesus. He's just very attractive. He will draw people to him if we exalt him the right way. So he said to them, it's to your advantage that I go away. And they said, you want to run that by me again? pardon? Get real, Jesus. How can that be? And of course, we know from the book of Acts how it was. The Holy Spirit would be poured out. The life of God, the ministry of Jesus would be poured out through the Holy Spirit. Well, who does the Holy Spirit enter? The believer. The Christian, the one who's following Jesus, they need to be born again, right? Filled with his Holy Spirit. We saw that over and over and over again in the book of Acts. So the life, so another way of explaining that, that might actually be more helpful for us, is to think of the life of Jesus dwelling within the believer. Now that has a lot of implications, not just for holy living, as we studied at 9.30 this morning from Thessalonians, but also for mission. In other words, the Anderson Church's mission, ministry, service, should be like whose? Because Jesus is living within us through the Spirit. And we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to learn about the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ those of you who gain a blessing from Ellen White's writings have books like Desire of Ages, a classic, I still love reading Desire of Ages. What, What are you talking about, pastor? Well, it's a book, a devotional book on the life of Jesus. You can learn a lot about the person, the character of Jesus and how he served humanity and how he served God. From a book like Desire of Ages, Ministry of Healing is another really good. So we have some tremendous resources Adventists, don't you think? But are we putting it into action? Is the life of Jesus permeating our congregation? So he goes and he ascends up to heaven and they see, yeah, he, he really did mean it. He really is going away. And then he disappeared. And then we we kick in with new terminology and we call him... And of course the question comes in, what is Jesus doing in heaven? So we call him our High Priest. Or we might call him the mediator between God and man. All of that terminology is used by different uh, Christians that belong to different denominations. And what's happening here is the Lord Jesus Christ as mediator, as the God-man, is pouring his life. So it's like the picture, well, you didn't see the picture that I showed the children. Do you want to see it? Aren't we a visual society? We want pictures, Pastor. Alright. It's a naked man. Can I still show you? But you just see in the back of him, so it's not that bad. So here he is, this is what the children looked at, and they thought all those white lines were ribs, but they are trying to show the nerves that go through the body from the head, everything coming from the head, and permeating the rest of the body. This is the type, and I I don't believe Paul understood about all of this stuff in the first century, but spiritually, we can make the application and, and, and use for illustrations the human body, that from the head, the life of Christ flows through the church. Now, we know that it can get blocked up. We know it can get slowed down. And we could have many ways of illustrating that. But let me quickly move through some points that, as I was studying this, emerged from these verses. The first one is we are joined or united to the Lord Jesus Christ in an organic, vital way. Organic. I want you to write that word down, put it in your head. An organism like the human body, something that's living, something that's interconnected, that's the imagery that scripture's trying to get over to us. It's not something lifeless, it's not something static. It's certainly not spectator. It's involvement. It's the energy of Christ. When I was born again, late at night, in the bedroom of my parents' home, ah, such a sense of peace and oneness with God. So I don't think of that as energy. It was, but I don't interpret it that way. But boy did I spring out of bed pretty fast the next morning, get on my bike, cycle to work and just tell all these pagans about Jesus. These were my buddies, these are the guys I worked with, they were a rough, uncouth group of men and I was very much one of the boys the day before, but not this day, because now I'm converted. Now I'm born again. Now I'm born of the Spirit. Now I have the life of Jesus flowing through me. Now I want to tell everyone about Jesus, and I pretty much did that. Didn't get a whole lot of positive response, but I can definitely say the energy, the vital force from Jesus was coming through me. Is that what Jesus means when he says, Don't neglect your first love? That early passion that you have, should it diminish the longer you knew? Can you tell me this? Can can any of us conclude, would we even think about it? That the disciples loved Jesus less after three years than at the beginning. It's kind of ridiculous to even say it that way. So it should be the same for us spiritually as we walk with Jesus. Some of us in this room have known Jesus for one year, five years, 10, 15, 50, 70, many, many years. And I can say from my own experience that, that my love for him has matured, is constantly maturing, constantly growing, greater appreciation. When I um, went out to give Bible studies, with the lady who mentored me in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Jamaican lady called Mrs. Brown. Uh, My car broke down. And I realized that as my car... Did I ever tell you this story? Bill, I've ever told you this story? All right, I'll say it for Bill. Bill looks like he needs a story at this point. I'm going to say it for Bill. So I have this old jalopy that my dad's given me, can't remember what it was called, uh, it was an English car, they usually broke down pretty quick and, uh, and I think it was just the angels that held this car together because it kind of moved all over, I don't know if that was the Caribbean influence but it moved from side to side as it went down the road. And to me, that was normal because that's what I inherited. He gave me, didn't charge me for the car, I just inherited it. And I was just glad to have some wheels that I could get around. But then the day came when, when um, I saw this red light. Don't you love that when you see the red light in the rear mirror? I saw the red light and I said, oh no, I probably hadn't been driving very long at that time. And I said, oh no, and, and, and I pulled over and I hit the brakes and, and I stopped. And to me, everything seemed normal. And so the policeman came over, and, well, Larry, you've been a policeman, so you could give us a policeman's thinking. But here's my interpretation of what he was thinking. This guy is all over the road. He's loaded. He's, he's been boozing all night. He's drunk. And I'm going to pull him over. And you know how it goes. You, We had we didn't have these fancy power windows then I wound the window down and he puts his nose right up to mine thought he was gonna kiss me but <laughs> right up to me and you know what he's trying to do he's trying to smell your breath and hopefully mine was minty fresh because I had no alcohol for sure and um, he says what's going on here so I says what's the problem he says well you're all over the road I says yeah that's normal just the way the car is and uh, he said, okay, fine, and I kind of thought about it for a few seconds, and he walked away. He sat down in his police car. So remember, I'm thinking everything's normal. My car's working fine. He's checked me out. No, it seems to be no problem, and he comes back. This is where it gets interesting. He came back, and he said, um, let me try your brakes. Now i'd hit the brakes and for me it's kind of stopped as it should and he put his foot on the brake and it went down no pressure at all so he then he got really stroppy with me he says you have no brakes and i says well i had brakes when i stopped no you didn't yes i did so we were on very different wavelengths at that point in time and he was getting pretty heated about this and Luckily, he put his head under the car, and he saw a big pool of what? Brake fluid. A big pool of brake fluid. And as I had hit that brake, that brake line must have snapped without me knowing. Now, so at that point, I'm just thinking, okay, well, no big deal. It wasn't my fault. It's broke. And he realized that it wasn't my fault, and he says... At first he says, well, you used the handbrake to stop, didn't you? I said, no, I just used my brakes, just normal. And so he wasn't quite sure if I was lying. But then I says, hey, we've been giving Bible studies, this, so maybe you thought I told the truth. I don't know. But he says, well, you can't use this car, obviously. Call someone to pick you up. So then I called my dad, and he was on his way to pick us up. And, and then I thought about what really had gone on there. A little bit further than where I had stopped the car was quite a sharp bend. And I always went into that bend reasonably fast. And then I would put a little bit of brake on, just enough, so as I could get around the corner. What probably would have happened, I mean, you never know, but what probably would have happened is I would have hit my brake. The cable would have snapped and I would have gone straight into a wall, a brick wall that was there. So as as this went through my mind, and as I tried to think it through with this Mrs. Brown, I just said, we both just said, praise the Lord. He might have just saved our lives through that policeman, through the red flashing light. Anyway, so now I'm thinking, why am I telling you this story? Bill, why, why am I telling this story? Yeah, he hadn't heard it before, but there must be a point of why I share it. So the car was moving all over the place, and, and I realized that God pretty much possibly saved my life right there at 20 years of age. And I just thanked God. We both did. Praise God right there in the street waiting for my dad. And I said, you know, Mrs. Brown, this is why I'm telling it. You, you know, Mrs. Brown, I don't think I could have more faith than I have now. And she just smiled and laughed and probably thought uh young christian what do you know was i sincere was i genuine was i full of the spirit yes 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 but i was a babe in christ i had not matured i had not grown and one of the points that paul makes in both of these passages is that we need to grow in christ Now, we have many ways of talking about growth in Christ. But here, in my first point, we are joined, we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ in an organic, in a vital way. So when I think of Jesus as being the head of the church, I don't think of him as being the head of the church in a symbolic way. I think of him being head of the church in an organic way just like I showed you the picture in the book there, that from the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that this is all through the Holy Spirit, but from the Lord Jesus Christ to the Holy Spirit emanates through the church family, everyone who believes in Christ, with no exceptions to this. This is not for an elite few in the church, certainly not for the clergy alone. It's for all of us that the life of Christ in an organic, vital way fuses throughout diffuses throughout the body of Christ. Now, this idea of being united to Lord Jesus Christ is a big, huge, massive theme with the Apostle Paul. Let me show you how real quick. For example, he'll use the term that we are in Christ. Have you ever tried to count how many times that phrase is used in the Bible? Now. It's not like Paul invented this, even though it is kind of special to him in the New Testament. Jesus Christ said the same thing. If you turn to John 15, open your Bible to John 15. Keep your finger in Ephesians, though, because we'll be back to that. John 15, so you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, chapter 15. And Jesse, this is kind of related also to a question that you asked me earlier this week. Jesus says in John 15, who is the true vine? So so here we don't have body language, we have vine and branch language. I am the true vine, my father's the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So if I ask the question, are Christian believers, are we supposed to be fruitful, yes or no? Yes, quite clearly, we should get that. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Here's the organic kind of language. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, this is all about relationship, he will bear much fruit. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Because the life of Christ is in you apart from me you can do how much apart from me you can do nothing and I will I will piggyback off that and say Anderson Church I know some of you really want this church to grow you really want this church to be a light in a dark community but we can do we can do a lots of activity you're going to hear a lot of discussion about ministry and service but it's not all the life of christ you can have very very active churches that are not having the life of christ flow through the church members but if the life of christ does flow through every church member who's involved in service we will bear much fruit which will bring glory to our heavenly father the bible teaches in other places and we will fulfill our purpose of why we are brought into the family of god in first corinthians 12 13 he says for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body so the first point we are joined we're united to the lord jesus christ in an organic vital way the second point The Lord Jesus Christ is head of the church, head of the body. Not so much emphasizing that he has authority, which of course is true. But rather that he diffuses the life of God through the church members. He is the source, the life source. So in other places where Jesus says, without me you have no life in you talking about spiritual life. Without me, you have no spiritual life in you. To reject Jesus is to reject life. He is the source of life, not just physically, but primarily spiritually. So we wonder why people go astray when they don't spend time with Jesus. Pretty easy to figure it out if we think of some of the implications of these verses here that we're dealing with this morning. Also, another point is the Lord Jesus Christ fills the body, the church members, with his own life. Uh, Paul uses the language, his fullness fills the church. Now that's understood in different ways. It's kind of language that's a little hard to get a hold of. Um, There are different ways of understanding that. We certainly can say from 2 Peter 1, 4 that we participate in the divine nature. Are we divine as believers? Are we divine as believers? No. No, so if we want to give you some, some Eastern mysticism, we would say yes. But if we want to give you biblical information, we would say no. But do we partake of the divine nature? Is there something of God within us, the life of God? Yes, absolutely. So we don't want people to say, well, Christians are no different than anyone else. They don't behave any different. They don't look any different. They don't act any different. We should be different. Not just to be different, but because we have the life of Jesus within us. so that should manifest itself in the coming weeks we'll talk about spiritual gifts it certainly will manifest itself according to the gifts but it could also manifest itself according to the fruits are you as loving as jesus but as you're connected to him you have the possibility of being loving kind compassionate person because you're connected to him and his fullness fills you and there is a sense in which we could even say on this text we could even say that without the body now this is a little bit trickier that without the body Christ is not fulfilled so he fills us most of us could come to grips with that probably a bit harder to think in some way he is not complete without us And the only way you can really understand that, because God is God, He doesn't need any humanity, right? You could certainly look at it that way. But but He is the God-man. He has identified Himself in a unique way with humanity. How long for? While He was just on this earth? No. This same Jesus will come back as you have seen Him going to heaven. He has identified Himself with humanity for eternity. That's a massive concept to try and grasp. So we're fulfilled within him and perhaps he is fulfilled as he is the head of the body. What is true of the Lord Jesus Christ is true of us. Now I realize I don't have a lot of time left. What is true of the Lord Jesus Christ is true of us. To understand that, And don't look it up now. If you're writing notes or going to listen to the tape on this, and we do tape everything, CDs and DVDs, you can look or listen to that. Romans 5, Romans 6. What is true of Jesus is true of us. Is it true of us, for example, Romans 5, that we were in Adam? Is that true of us? Whole human race was in Adam. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, well I've already said one of Paul's favorite phrases that we are in Him. What does that mean? We're in Him. Well, it means that His life is our life. His death on the cross, our death on the cross. His burial, our burial. Did He rise from the dead? Have we risen from the dead? Well, hey, pastor, Jesus hasn't come yet. How can we say that we've risen? Paul says we have. We've risen. We're sitting again in Ephesians. We're sitting in heavenly places. When? In the future? No. Now. You have to study Romans 5:6, Colossians 3:1, Romans 6:11, and Ephesians 2:5 and 6. That's the place. Where he says we're sitting in heavenly places now you may not understand it i i will give you that especially it's the first time you've heard this but let me share the scripture with you ephesians 2 5 and 6 verse 4 but because of his great mercy his great love for us god is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace that you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ. So he's spoken of his death, his resurrection, and now his ascension. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're on display, folks, before the universe. And sometimes the universe must look down here and say what's wrong with those christians they seem so lifeless they've lost their first love they're laodicean now they're not saying that about those who are busy serving humanity loving god with all their hearts and loving their neighbors as themselves but there's a large section of christianity that doesn't fall into that category some that are Seventh-day Adventists for one day of the week, not Seventh-day Adventists. We don't just drop our Christianity when we leave the sanctuary doors, right? We live it seven days a week. So what is true of the Lord Jesus Christ is true of us, and my question is, do you believe that? If you believe it, and if you understand it, it'll transform your christianity also who is doing the working now this is a real problem for some let me give you a text philippians 2 12 and 13 continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure so we're saying that the life of god flows through the church members via the holy spirit it it gets them doing the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to seek and to save the lost, to serve His Father, to serve humanity. That should be the tenor of our lives. If it's not, then we've kind of lost our way. But who's doing the work? Is it let go and let God, which is often a way of explaining these things? Well, if you understand Scripture, you could never say, let go and let God, because God is working. Didn't I say that the life of God is going from the head through the body? But we have to exercise the muscles. The life is in the body. Every believer has everything that they need to live a fruitful, godly life. Jesse, you asked, how much fruit do we have to bear? Enough fruit so that jesus says we're fruitful you don't does, does any tree let's pretend we're apple trees this morning does any apple tree say i must try hard i must try hard i must try hard i must bear more fruit my master's going to be unhappy with me probably not as long as the tree is getting the nutrients it needs has the environment that it needs whether that be water or whatever else it needs fruit will appear on the tree right cecil so, so we have two trees uh, well we have more than two trees but we have two fruit trees in, in our back garden one had these crinkly looking i don't stubs i don't know what to call them there, there must be a proper term for them but i don't know what it is and i don't think even the birds would want to eat those But the next tree, just a few feet away, had these wonderful peaches. Even though Pastor Mason hadn't been uh, a good husband and, and sprayed the trees like he should three or four times a year, still fruit, good fruit, peaches came on that tree. And Well, the birds did peck at them, but I tried to gather them as quickly as I could so that we could eat some of them house. If we're abiding in Christ and He is abiding in us, we will, guaranteed, bear fruit, which I understand as serving God, serving humanity, in a way that is pleasing to God. But work out your own salvation with fear and trembling sounds like we have everything to do. No, because it is God who is working within you. So God sends the life, the energy, the life force, the power through the body, and we have to start exercising those muscles. Start giving Bible studies. You wanna understand about biblical teaching? Start teaching other people. It's a great way, when they start asking you some interesting questions, it's a great way to grow and to learn. Go back home, you hit the books, you start learning, and then you realize that there's only a few objections. And I guarantee anybody in this room who would do that for three or four months would learn extremely quickly how to witness and share the Lord Jesus Christ as as I believe He wants all of us to do, without exception. So who does the working? Well, in one sense, we could say, well, God does everything. Now, God supplies everything that we need we have our part to do holiness sanctification should never ever be explained in a passive way it is always active we work out what he has already worked in us so our relationship to the lord jesus christ guarantees us certain things if you get nothing else from this sermon that we are joined to Christ in this organic way that should give you security because another by topic when Paul talks about the church and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross is the assurance of our salvation there's no way that anyone in this room is going to be fruitful for God unless you really believe in the depths of your heart that god is always for you never against you so again that's a big theme in the book of romans and it's and it's implicit in the idea of being organically joined to the lord jesus christ let's stop making excuses why we can't live this holy life of jesus or we can't do the holy work of jesus stop making excuses and start rejoicing think of it here we are sinners heading for hell and the lord jesus plucks us out of the fire and equips us with everything we need everything we need to live a fruitful productive christian life we should be rejoicing this morning I should be seeing smiles on your face at this point in time if you're catching it everything we don't have to grovel for God to give us a little bit more everything is given at birth at spiritual birth and as we grow and start to exercise these this life of God within us we get stronger and stronger until in the end we become fully grown mature in the faith firing on all cylinders and if we're firing on all cylinders and all the believers are firing on all cylinders then the world will wake up and say god is with them he's in their midst so it's not just what we say it's not just what we believe it's the life that we live and that life has to be the jesus life let's pray gracious god thank you So much for this sometimes difficult concept of the head and the body. I pray Lord for each believer in you here this morning. First I pray Lord for those that don't believe in you that they will just totally embrace Jesus and have the peace and the joy of eternal life. But Lord those of us that do believe in you and that's the majority of us here. We want to be fruitful. We know it will take submission. It will take obedience. Teach us how to abide in you and bear much fruit to your glory. Move this church in the direction of Jesus' ministry. In his name we pray. Amen.